This is a fascinating chapter uh, as our story picks up today in Daniel chapter 6. And I've loved teaching the book of Daniel. Daniel is divided into two parts. First of all, the first six chapters are very practical. It's the stories, and today's that, that, that story. You come to chapter 7 and through the end of the book, and all of a sudden, it's a series of visions and many end times prophecies. And we'll begin that next week. But as our story begins today, in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is probably about 85 years old at this point, and, uh, which is very different if you were raised in a church environment like I was. We were raised on uh, flannel graphs. Anybody remember the flannel graphs? Would you admit it if you did? Yes, but flannel graphs, and they were awesome. But Daniel was always like 15 years of age, you know, in, in no matter what chapter you were, you were in. But here in chapter 6, he's about 85 years of age. And you'll recall from previous studies that When Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came down to Israel, he conquered Israel and Jerusalem specifically, and he took back 10,000 captives all the way back to Babylon. And it's in that time, 70 years have passed since that took place. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has passed away decades prior to, to our study today, about 23, 24, 25 years, somewhere about that time prior to our study today. And uh, now Babylon is under what's called the Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus, a man named Cyrus, is over the Medo-Persian Empire, but there in Babylon, he has set up a local king, and that local king, his name is Darius. Actually, that's not his name, that's his title. Darius just means holder of the scepter, but we just refer to him as Darius, because his name could be George or Fred, we don't know, but he's just called Darius. And uh, so that's where our our story picks up today, and uh, we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 6, and here's what it says. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps. Uh, If you have the old King James, it would say princes, and we'll talk about that in a moment, over the kingdom so that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. And I want you to under might not suffer loss. That's going to be important for our study. Then Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom, over the entire kingdom. And I want you to underline that. So uh, some of your Bibles will use the word satraps. Some of your Bibles will say princes. These would be the administrators over the kingdom. He wants to appoint 120. The reason for that is he doesn't want to suffer loss. Hidden behind that is that the king's looking at his new kingdom that he's been appointed king over. He realizes that, that um, whatever's happening in the administration of the kingdom, there's someone, a group of someones who are taking things, they're, 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 and he's, he's, he's suffering loss. So he decides to, to fix that. And uh, also, he decides to place Daniel at the end of this. He was going to have three, but now he's decided to just have one who would make sure. So apparently, Daniel has really distinguished himself here. Daniel would be much older than this king, at least by 20 years, and we saw that last week. And so the first thing I, I want to just write down, and you'll want to write this down, is that we're going to see that Daniel lives a principled life, a principled life. And as we've studied before, as we've traveled through the book of Daniel, Daniel has apparently in his life made certain decisions as to who he is and who he's not. And so when certain situations come his way, the decision as to who he is is already made. And uh, so he lives a, a, a very principled life. And it's those principles that he lives by that will cause him to constantly be promoted. He ne- never uh, varies in those. 
The next thing that you need to write down, you need to notice, is that Daniel is an executive. Write that down. He's an executive. He's not a pastor. He's not a religious leader. He's the guy who's out in the workaday world. Now, certainly he's going to be used by God as a prophet, but uh, he's known to people as just a guy who's involved in the kingdom administrating, so he's an executive, which is important because we, we, sometimes we think that those who are in ministry have a, a different standard than the rest of the world, and what we're, or they should, but uh, the rest of the believers. Where Daniel, on the other hand, is going to have a standard that just comes from God regardless of what it is that he's doing occupationally. So Daniel is about to be promoted, and uh, not everyone is excited about Daniel's promotion. And by the way, this Bible study is, is considered by many to be the most famous Bible study in all the Bible, uh, the, the mother of all Bible studies. And it's certainly something that we've all heard about. You've ever heard of Daniel in the lion's den? Heard of that? That's what this story is all about today. So not everybody is excited about Daniel's upcoming promotion. And so verse 4, here's what it says. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could, not, they could find no ground to, or of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful. And no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Now, these men said, we shall not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against, uh, against him with regard to the law of his God. So if you've ever experienced jealousy in the workplace, uh, this is jealousy in the workplace. That makes sense? And uh, you'll remember also in verse 2, we talked about the king looks at his kingdom and he realizes that he needs to do something so that he won't suffer loss. And all of a sudden, we find out that whatever's going on with these 120 people who are about to be appointed, they like things the way that they are. And apparently they're concerned that if Daniel is promoted, whatever it is they're doing that's causing the king to suffer loss, that's going to be taken away. So they want to find a way to put an end to that. So the king says, I'll appoint three, but then ultimately he says, I'm just going to appoint one. And uh, so what we find here, and I want you to write this down, is that Daniel lives a pure life. It's a pure life. They can't find anything to accuse him on. Uh, They can't point to any flaws. In the New Testament, Paul would say this there in your outline. He would say, do not give the devil an opportunity. And you want to know why you don't give the devil an opportunity? Because he will take it. He will take it. And so Daniel's not giving the devil an opportunity. And, and anyway, he, he's le- living a flawless life to the best of his ability. And, and the truth is, the world's always looking on. The world's always looking on. And uh, the first time that you blow it, they're very quick to say, and you call yourself a... And the reason they say that is they're always watching. They're always watching. So, so here, Daniel, his life is being watched. And it's at this point that the plot thickens. Verse 6, it says, Then the commissioners and the satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. They're kind of warming up. And then verse 7, it says all. Underline the word all. Speaking to the king, they say, you know, all the commissioners of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the high officials and the governors have consulted together, all of us that the king should establish a statute statute, and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. You might want to underline that. Any, Any petition to any man or god, god or man other than you, shall be cast into the lion's den. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document 
so that it may not be changed, and you want to underline, may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, and it goes on to say, which may not be revoked, which may not be revoked. The first thing that you notice is that when these men approach the king, they say, all of us, all of us, and I had you underline the word all, uh, but who's missing in, out of that all? Daniel's missing. Now, what's also interesting is what do you think the penalty is for lying to the king? It would be death. And so tuck that away. That'll be important at the end of our, our study. But they're lying to the king because apparently one of the, the leaders is missing. And so they say, you know, for one month, let's just say in this kingdom, as you're the new king, how about everybody just prays to you? And this really appeals to his ego. You know, and uh, he doesn't realize how stupid this is going to be. But then you also notice that there in uh, verse 8, it talks about, and I had you underline, how the law may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which, would not, which could not be revoked. Uh, as the, the Medes and the Persians, one of the things that was very different than, say, when Nebuchadnezzar was over the kingdom, if Nebuchadnezzar made a law on one day and he doesn't like it the next day, he just changed it. But in the Mede, Medo-Persian kingdom, they had it set up that if the king made a law... Once that was written, the king was now bound to abide by the law. And so that was sort of a safeguard for making stupid laws that you don't think through. And so, but, but you can't change the, the law, and so the king can't even change the law. So the question is, at this point, Daniel wasn't there for the meeting, so, so how will Daniel respond? Well, in verse 10, the story begins to unlock, and here's, here's how it goes. It says, now, when Daniel knew, I want you to underline Daniel knew, that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, underline that, he had the window open toward Jerusalem. And, underline, continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, underline that, praying and giving thanks, underline, giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously, underline, previously. Um. So, so here's Daniel, and uh, he knows now what the, the law is, and so how does he respond? Well, he goes to his rooftop, he opens the window so that everybody can see, and so he's taking a stand. Uh, I, um, there, there are times uh, when, when we as Christians, we have, we have to take those stands. And uh, one time for me, you know, if you and I sit down and, and we pray, or we're you know, having a meal together, I don't always end the prayer with, um, in Jesus' name. I don't always say that. And the reason for that is, is that I'm a believer and you're a believer. And when we pray, we're praying in Jesus' name. And so I, I never want to turn it into like, um, you know, you're talking on your CB. This is Jupiter Farms. So you're talking on your CB. And at the end of everything, you say, 10-4, good buddy. So I, don't, I never want to turn saying in Jesus' name like a 10-4, good buddy as you close the prayer. Uh, but, you know, so, so that. But however, there are those times when, when, as a believer, I have to say, in Jesus' name. And uh, one, of, one of those times was a few years ago. There at Carlin Park, they, they had the new amphitheater. Everybody know where the, the amphitheater is at Carlin Park? And so they call me to come and, and do the, the, the blessing, the, the prayer, you know, the, the religious guy. What they're really looking for is, is a Unitarian, you know, who kind of prays to whoever, whatever, wherever out there, you know, and just, you know, you bless this. But um, it's in times like that where I can't pray uh, this generic prayer because 
that would be uh, a compromise of who I am. So they called me to come do this, and I'm really wrestling because there are some people on staff who are saying, this is a great thing, you're going to be out there in the community, people are going to love it, you know, and all this. And I'm thinking, no, because you're putting me out there in front of people, and uh, this is a government thing, and I'm gonna, they asked me to pray, and I have to close the prayer in Jesus' name. And, uh, and so I walk up, and I, and I do that. And uh, at the end of it, and I just, you know, God bless us, and on and on. And then, um, it, it, which I always feel weird about. Anyways, it's a story for another day. But, uh, <laughs> really? You're blessing the amphitheater. So, so um, but, isn't there anything more important we can ask God about? But, so, so I, I do that, you know, and at the end of it, it's like, you, you just have to. You have to say, in Jesus' name. You, you have to, because if you don't, then what you've done is you've shrunk back. And we live in a society where Christians have been shrinking back and shrinking back and shrinking back to the place where we are so marginalized now uh, that we're considered on, you know, government lists as terrorists and haters and all of that sort of thing because we backed away and backed away and backed away and we refused to take a stand. I don't think that we need to be jerks for Jesus or anything like that, but we need to be appropriate and take those, those stands. Well, you can imagine, as soon as I get home, my inbox is full of people sending messages, you know, how could you do this sort of thing? And the truth is, you have to, you have to. When somebody puts you in that position, you have to take a stand, and if you don't, then you're really compromising your faith. Does that make sense? And, uh, and so those are awkward times, but that's what the Lord calls us to do sometime. So um, where, where was I, by the way, in this whole, whole thing? Okay, so the, the second thing, that, or the next thing that we see, and I want you to write this down, is Daniel lives a prayerful life. He lives a prayerful life. And uh, you notice I put it there on your outline, just that verse, verse 10. It just says he continued, and I've underlined that word continued, kneeling on his knees, and it's three times a day, praying, and he says he's giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. And the idea is that when this new law comes about, Daniel doesn't change anything that he's doing. He's just going to be who it is that God's called him to be. He's made some decisions about his life, and so those decisions don't change. So um, he goes to the top of his roof. The window is open. Uh, Again, nothing has changed. And so prayer is just a, a regular part of his life. And prayer was the priority in Daniel's life. That's not on your outline, but you might want to write that down. It's just, it's, it's the priority of his life. And Daniel didn't start praying here because his back was now against the wall. It just says that he just kept doing what he was doing previously, what he was doing previously. Now, if you've been around for any length of time, you know that I only have three illustrations. I'm going to use two of them today. And if you come back next week, I'll throw the third one in. But... But as a dad, and I really want to speak to the dads for a moment here, um, Daniel is a man who modeled prayer. Prayer was the priority of his life. And, and as dads, we have an opportunity to model for our kids one of two things. You see, it will either be that when our kids see us pray, uh, because we, we pray so infrequently, that when they see us pray, they will link up in their minds that something is wrong uh, dad is praying. Or because we always pray, the day that we don't pray, they will link up with their, in their minds that something must be wrong because dad's not praying today. And we don't really realize what type of impact we have until the day one of our kids brings it to our attention. It was, it was way back when, when Daniel, who's now 14, was about two and a half years of age. Might, might have been just right at two. 
And every day, and I didn't even know that this was happening as far as that they were observing, but I have this certain chair, at least I did at that time, that I always went to every single morning, had my Bible, had a notebook, and I always had a large cup of coffee. And I do that because many of you know, when I was 13, I wound up living in a family, uh, which was, you know, not my family of origin. And the one thing that always hit me was the father got up every morning. He always had a large cup of coffee, his Bible open, and he had a notebook. And so he would read and pray, and uh, he would be praying for the family. And so I I just decided years later that that's how I would build my life, and he instructed me to do that. I didn't really think about it, but it made such an impact on me seeing this father and the family that I became part of. So this one morning, Daniel's a baby, and uh, I had this early morning meeting, so I had to get up and I had to go. And so by the time Daniel got up in the morning, he comes and he looks at the chair, and all of a sudden he realizes dad's not there in the chair. Where's dad? And so in his little two-year-old way to to communicate to his mom, something must be wrong. He runs back into the room and he grabs a book and he comes running out to mom and he goes, mom, daddy, daddy. And he's holding up the book. And the idea is that he's trying to convey that something must be wrong. Dad's not there with the book this morning. And what had linked up in his mind is that on this day, I didn't see dad spending time with the Lord. Something must be wrong. In my family of origin, if I ever saw um, somebody spending time with the Lord, I realized it must be a major crisis because we just never did that. Dad, you and I have an opportunity what we link up in our children's mind. And it will either be when dad spends time with the Lord, something must be wrong because dad doesn't really do that. Or it will be on the day that we don't spend time with the Lord, they'll say something must be wrong because dad always spends time with the Lord. Does that make sense? And here's why we don't pray. The second illustration. Here's why we don't pray. Because deep down, we don't think that it really matters. And I want to suggest to you that Daniel-sized miracles come from Daniel-sized prayers. And, And deep down, we, even as professing believers, do not believe that our prayers really matter, that God will do something. And, and, and here's how you know this. If you were to come to me after the service today and you were to say, Pastor Dan, it's all falling apart. I mean, they're taking my car, they're taking my house, my wife is leaving, and, and uh, you know, they're turning off the electricity, and uh, I need $10,000, or they are going to shut it all down and it's done. And I were to say to you that, you know, we have a benevolence ministry here at the church, which, which we do, by the way, and, uh, and uh, I can take care of that need for you. And you were to say, really? Yes. And uh, so here's what we'll do. Tomorrow morning, I don't have the church checkbook right now. have to talk with some of the guys. But uh, I can meet you tomorrow morning at IHOP here on Indian Town Road. And at, at 6 o'clock in the morning, you meet me there. I'll show up with the check, and we'll take care of your need. Great. So you go home that night, and you get up the next morning. Now, if you don't believe that I can meet that need or that I'm actually going to be there, you're just going to roll over and go to sleep. And uh, if, But if you believe that I can meet that need and I will meet that need, you will do everything in your power to be there because you have a need. And so you'll get up in the morning and if your car breaks down, you'll run inside your garage and you'll pull out that bicycle. And if that bicycle's broken and you need that $10,000, you'll wake your neighbor up and say, hey, I need a ride to IHOP right now. I don't normally do this, but I need a ride right now. To the extent that you believe that I can meet that need and I will meet that need, will be the ex- to the extent that you will make the effort to be there. The reason that we as professing believers do not 
meet with the Lord on a daily, regular basis is deep down, even as professing believers, we don't really believe that it's really going to change anything. Because if we did, nothing would stop us from spending time with the Lord in prayer. Does that make sense? It's just the cold, hard reality. Thank you, honey. That's my wife. Um, but but, but that's, that's true. Um, and and uh, you notice for Daniel, it was three times a day. He just felt like he needed to get alone with the Lord. He just, I've got to go spend time with the Lord. Jesus, uh, in Luke's, Luke 5, it says this. It says, but he himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. And if Jesus needed to get away and spend time with the Lord praying, how much more do you and I? So Daniel knows about this edict, and he knows what's going to happen. And uh, we also see in the Bible that people... In the Bible, who saw great miracles were people who prayed, spent, made prayer a priority. We also want to notice that there's something, in this, uh, something else in this that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to our attention. And in verse 10, let me just read it again. It says, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, now in his roof chamber, and he had his windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day. And it says, praying. And then it says, and, what's it say? Does it say giving thanks? Giving thanks, giving thanks. And you, you want to underline that. Now, what's also interesting is that this word in the original language there, I put it there in your outline, uh, from the Aramaic just means to praise. Does everybody see that? He's just praising God three times a day as he always, always has. So the question is, what is it that Daniel really has to praise God about in this situation? And if you've got 120 of your peers who are now plotting to take your life, uh, the only thing that awaits you is a rest in the lion's den. What is it that you really have to praise God about? Oh, I, I would suggest that Daniel had a very clear understanding of God's purpose and that God, he recognized that God was in control and that God had a plan. And, and I believe that he understood if God is in control and God has a plan, then I can praise him in the midst of this circumstance because maybe God wants to do something. Some people will only praise God when God is um, doing good things for them based upon their standard as to what is good. And when God is no longer doing what it is that they want him to do, they are mad at God and they refuse to praise God. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is simply this. Because they've never come to the place where God is God in the relationship and God is in control. That they trust God as God. You see, when you look deeply at a person who would profess to be a believer who's angry at God because God's not doing it the way that they want them to do that, essentially what's taken place is they've put themselves in the position of God in the relationship and God becomes the subject in their kingdom. And one of their subjects is not doing something worth being blessed. And so now they're angry at one of their subjects. Does that make sense? Because they've never come to the place where it's God who is God in the relationship. And and when somebody does that, there, there is no spiritual depth in that. There's no spiritual depth in being angry at God when God doesn't do it our way. You won't go very far in your relationship with God before God does something that's just not the way you'd have it done. Can I get a witness? I mean, it's just, it's just how it is. It's just how it is. And God uses those things to show us, I'm God in this relationship, and you follow me. You don't follow me because I'm doing everything that you want. I'm God. You're not Aladdin, and I'm not the genie. I'm God. 
And God brings us to that place. Daniel got that. Daniel got that. I think that Daniel gets that God is up to something much bigger than this current situation. He's walked with God long enough. And I wanted to take just a couple of minutes and just express why it was so important on this particular day and why the Holy Spirit wanted to illuminate for us that in the midst of this uh, catastrophic event, which could be in Daniel's life, that it was so important for Daniel in this situation to begin giving thanks or to begin praising God. And, uh, and, and let me start with a, just a couple of verses. I, I couldn't put headings on this because we'd run out of space. But, but when our world is crashing, as Daniel's world is crashing right now, he knows he's going to be arrested. He, he knows what the law is. But the Bible teaches there in your outline that we are to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Does everybody see that? We put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Um, there is something about praising God when the world is crashing in on you and you feel the weight of the world, which is why many times you come to church and you, you're, you have the weight of the world on you, and as you walk in, you begin to praise God, and all of a sudden, that weight begins to lift. There's just something about God using praise. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people, and it says in his presence there is fullness of joy. And so when we begin to praise God, God is very close in a way that I could never articulate. And God begins to lift that weight. For some, um, for some, and this is going to hurt some feelings, so put your seatbelts on. For some, you come to church and the weight's never lifted. The weight's never lifted, and here's why. Because when you come to church and it's time to worship God, you don't worship God. What you do is, is you say, well, I don't, I don't like the music. I, I don't like that song. I don't like that style. Can, you know, can, can't you change this? Now, now here, here's the problem in that. Okay, this is going to hurt your feelings. Um, because you think that worship is about you, as though we're, we're here to worship you. We love you, but we're not here to worship you. We're here to worship God. And you know, what I've learned in my life, and many people have, is, is that I can worship God in any, style of, of, in any style of worship, whether it's a liturgical style or, or whether it's, uh, you know, if I go to a church and they have a southern twang sound to their, you know, their song, amazing, great. I can do that. That's great because it's worshiping God. It's not my particular style. I go to another church and it's rap music, you know, Jesus is coming. <laughs> Break it down, everybody. You know, I'm good. I'm good, you know, because, because it's worshiping God. So how, whatever the style is, whatever the style is, worship isn't for me, and we're not worshiping me. I, I'm going there, and whatever the style is, I worship God. And, and that's why uh, some, for some, we never feel that weight lifted because for us, deep down, we think worship is about us. And we leave here, and we say, I like the worship, and, and we grade it based upon how much we like it. But we never come to the place where we say, I, I, how did I worship God in this? And by the way, on the other side of this, some of us, some of you, are a real blessing. And here's why. Because I get that this is not your style. I get it. And uh, I get that you wouldn't be listening to the type of music that you hear on Sunday morning on your radio as you drive to work each and every day. I get that. But you know what I love about you? I love that you come here and you get that it's about God. And you worship God because that's what it's about. And you are an example to the rest of us who will be following in your footsteps. And we're thankful for that. That makes sense? So it's important here for Daniel. It's important here for Daniel to be worshiping God. His heart is heavy. He knows that arrest is coming. He knows that the lion's den awaits him. Another reason that it's important in the Bible to, to, to worship God, and why Daniel needs to worship and praise God right now, is that praise increases our faith. 
You'll remember the story where Abraham is given a promise of having a son, and nothing happens for decades, nothing. And so the Bible teaches that Abraham had to wait a long time, in decades before something happened. But in Romans, it tells us what God used to keep Abraham going all of those years when all he had was a promise and nothing was happening. It's an extreme story, an extreme amount of time, but it's, it's an example for us. And in Romans, here's what it says. In Romans 4, it says, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Abraham didn't waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith. And then it says, how did he do that? By giving glory to God. What's interesting is that word glory in the original language is the word doxo, from where we get the English word doxology, which goes and it says, praise Father, Son. And how many of you know that song? Yeah, and you have to sing it that way, right? He comes in, praise Father, Son. Yeah, holy. And, and so it's, it's the praise. It, all it means is to praise. And here's what he did. Abraham was able to go a long time with all he had was a promise and nothing was happening. He didn't waver in unbelief. He grew strong in faith. But the Bible says because he praised God continuously and it increased his faith. Right now in Daniel's situation, he's going to need some faith to to face this situation. Wouldn't you agree? And I'm willing to bet that right now some of us are facing some situations and we need a good dose of faith because right now we don't know how it's going to work out. And one of the ways that that is built is by simply praising God in the midst of it. The heaviness is lifted. The faith is encouraged. Well, going on from that, it's also interesting that that God uh, seems to respond. He moves in response to praise. You remember the Old Testament story, and I love this story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat, the king, gets up one morning and he looks out, and his kingdom is surrounded by not an army, but by armies, armies. And they're there to wipe them out. And it's, it's interesting that in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 22, here's what it says there in your outline. And you want to underline a certain part of this. It says, when, underline that word, when, when they began singing and, what's that word? that the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. You you see, God acts throughout the Bible in response to praise. There's something about praise. And in Daniel's situation, if God doesn't show up in this situation, he's cat food, essentially. That's that's all he is. And, And When you're in that situation, guys, the most important thing that you can do, one of the most important things that you can do is to begin to praise God. The weight is lifted, the faith is increased, and God acts in response to praise. I I love the story of Paul in the New Testament. He's in the Philippian jail, and uh, he's stuck. He can't, it's not his fault. He he can't improve it. He can't fix it. And if God doesn't show up, it's all over. Notice what it says there in Acts chapter 16, there in your outline. It says, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of, what's that word? Praise Praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And I love this word, suddenly. Underline that word, suddenly. There came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened. Underline that. And everyone's chains were unfastened. I love this because it was in their impossible situation when 
after they've been beaten up quite a bit, that they chose to respond by praising God. And God intervened by literally blowing the doors off of their situation and releasing them from the chains that were holding them captive. And it could be for you and I that the most important thing that we can do is to simply begin to praise God in our daily life. Now, what Daniel is facing, he needs the weight lifted, he needs his faith encouraged, and he needs God to act on his behalf. But also, let me say this. Um, As you know, I have a bunch of kids at home, and I love to hear my kids say thank you. But um, my kids are like any other kids, and I can tell the difference when they are beginning to say nice things to me and about me and saying thank you because they love me or they just want something. And uh, so praise is not manipulating God into acting on my behalf. It's just putting God in the right place and allowing God to be who it is that he is, and he is God. That make sense? And then just write this down. Part of praise is just thanking God in advance for the answer. Thanking God in advance for the answer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And then it says, watching therein with thanksgiving. You ask, and then you begin to thank God. So verse 10 there on your outline, Daniel practices public prayer. Write that down. And the interesting thing in that is it's public prayer. uh, And we say, which, by the way, it was illegal. It was illegal. So he has this this crisis here. Do I follow my God or do I follow the local law? Verse 11, it goes on to say, Now these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Uh, I love that. Uh, Apparently he's doing this out loud. They find him making prayer, uh, 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 petition and supplication. Petition just means in the original language an earnest request, and supplication means to make a humble entreaty. So they know what he's doing. So apparently this is something that he's doing out loud and it's in public on top of his roof. He's not hiding that. Verse 12, then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign the injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? And the king answered and said, yeah, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. So did you sign it? Is the ink dry? And uh, once again, uh, we realize that he couldn't change this. It couldn't be changed. It's very different than when Nebuchadnezzar was on, on the throne. Verse 13, they answered and spoke before the king. You know, uh, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you sign, but keeps making his petition, petition, petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed. What have I done? And set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Now, the idea is that the king now realizes that he's been duped by these guys. He's been set up. And uh, the guy that he's ready to turn the kingdom over, he's now made a law which is going to lead to his execution. When it says that he's trying to rescue him, he's, he's, he's kind of negotiating with this, these guys, but it, it's not working out. If he breaks this law, they will run back to Cyrus, who's the king of the empire, and uh, they, it would be very evident that to Cyrus that this king has made a very stupid law. But also, he's made a stupid law where he declares that he is above every man or God for 30 days, which means he's essentially placed himself even above Cyrus, who is the the king of the empire. And if he changes the law, then he's taking the law into his own hands. So he's in a a lose-lose situation here. 
Verse 15, these guys remind him and they say, Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that this is a law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or statute which, is of the, king, which the king establishes may be changed. It, it just can't be changed. Verse 16, Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve... Daniel had a, a reputation there. Whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles so that nothing might be changed in regard to Daniel. So the king has to sign it. The nobles have to sign it. And if the rock is moved at night, then uh, they'll, they'll know that somebody changed it. You also have an unbeliever now comforting a believer. Daniel is 85 years old at this point, and for this particular trial, the only way out of this trial is to go through this trial. And so he finds himself in this situation. We're also going to find out in just a few moments that by the time that Daniel comes to this situation, he's full of faith. And I'm going to suggest to you that Daniel's going to sleep all night. I've always pictured this in my mind that they're taking him to the lion's den. He asks for a blanket and they give him the blanket. They open the door. He walks in. They shut the door. He sees all the lions. He said, who's a pretty kitty? Come over here. Give me some loving. That's just how, how, how I am picture it. You can picture it however you want. But I just see Daniel just kind of scratching the cats, you know, and just like, do that. Anyways, hopefully he wasn't allergic to cats. Verse 18. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. You know, what have I done? And, and again, the king's awake all night, all night, but it's generally held that Daniel slept all night. Verse 19, it says, And the king arose with the dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O oh, king, live forever. I think it was more like a yawning. Oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. He shut more than the lion's mouth. He shut their paws. He shut their, uh, any, any uh, adverse emotion they would have towards Daniel. They were just, you know, uh, apparently they had a great night. And... They've not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. Also toward you, O king, I've committed no crime. And the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken out of the den so that Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury was found on him. Now you have to underline this. Here's why. This is the, the key here. Because he had trusted in his God. Apparently God loves a good challenge. In the Old Testament, you want to write this down, it's commonly called trust. He trusted in his God. Most of your Bibles will say that. If you have the King James, I think it says he believed in his God. And in the New Testament, they don't use the word trust, they use the word faith, faith. Paul refers to this situation in the book of Hebrews, and here's what he says. He says, by faith, underline that, they conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, and shut the mouths of lions. Underline that. Now, here's the indication. Daniel knew going into it what God was going to do. So Daniel was able to go through the trial, but he was able to rest in the trial because of his faith, which I would say went back to some things that Daniel had been doing. 
I would also want to add to this as, as uh, we kind of wrap this up that, that, uh, that faith builds upon faith. Write that down. Faith builds upon faith. You, you remember the story of David and Goliath and David says, I'll take on Goliath, but everybody else was running for their life. And, and you learn something in the story that this wasn't David's first step of faith, trusting God. It was just simply the next step of faith for David. So when David goes before Saul, here's what he says there in your outline. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, go and may the Lord be with you. David says to Saul, in essence, Saul, I've been trusting God. I've been taking steps of faith. I've seen God's faithfulness. And so now that Goliath shows up, everyone else is running. Goliath isn't my first step of faith. It's just the next step of faith for me. For Daniel, what we've seen is that this is just simply the next step of faith for Daniel. It's, it's not his first step of faith. You'll remember back in chapter one, he had to trust God for diet and how God had to move in that circumstance. It was in chapter two that he had to trust God for interpretation. And so Daniel's had 70 years here in this kingdom where he's been trusting God. And there's been a few times along the way where his trust in God puts him at odds with just about everything else. But in all of that, he sees God's faithfulness. I, I believe and I see, and, and again, this was not Daniel's first step of faith, trusting the Lord. Many professing Christians crumble when they face the lion den in their life, when they face the Goliath in their life. Because when these situations show up, they have no track record where they've been trusting God and seeing his faithfulness through the years. And so there's no faith. You can't look back and say, I had to trust God here, I had to trust God here, I had to trust God, he's been faithful all the way. This is the next step. And for many people, because they never trusted God in the little things, when Goliath shows up, when the lion den shows up, there's no faith. There's no track record. Does that make sense? Verse 24, he says, Then the king gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast them and their children and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Oh, that's a happy thought. It's, in essence, the king is saying, well, we've just seen what Daniel's God could do for him. Let's see what your God can do for you. But there's something else in there that we need to to write down. You want to write this down, that my sin affects others. My sin affects others. You notice it was the 120 satraps who who did this. But who's also paying the price? What's their wives? It's their children. Now, this is not how God would do it. God says this there in your outline, Deuteronomy. God said, fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor their sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. So so you, you, you don't. But the truth is, in life, um, my sin affects others. And if we were to go around the room, we could all tell stories how right now, you and I are paying the price in our lives because of someone else's sin, because of what they did. Now, don't get uppity. Somebody's paying the price for the sins that we've committed too. But my sin affects others. And so I want to avoid that because I know the effect that it has on people's lives, especially if you've walked through it and you, you've lived in the, the effects of someone else's sin. 
Verse 25 through 28, and I want you to write this down. My sin affects others, yes, but also my faith affects others too. Verse 25, he says, Then Darius the king wrote to all the people's nations and men of every language who are living in all the land, may your peace abound. And Darius decrees, he says, I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. He is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. His dominion will be forever, and he delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who also has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So would you say that, that uh, Daniel's faith has had an effect on the king? My faith affects others also. We are out of time. And uh, so with that, I'm just going to wrap up and we're going to close. If you're here today, and, and we've been talking through this, I, I want to strongly encourage you, especially if you're a dad. Moms too, future dads, future moms, grandparents. If right now you don't have that time every day that you're spending time with God in prayer, would you evaluate and ask yourself, do I not do that because deep down I don't really believe? Maybe that's painfully honest. I don't really believe that it's going to matter. Because if if we believe that it would matter, we would. We would. If you're here today and and you want to evaluate, and and maybe today it's to, to confess to the Lord and say, God, the reason I don't do that is deep down I have this belief and I know it's wrong and I need to change it. I need to change it. Because I might not feel very effective right now, but I know I'm not going to get more effective if I don't change this. And your family and the people around you need to know that you are praying for them. Not in a haphazard before dinner type prayer, but you are praying for the people that God's entrusted to you. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer. And... um, Maybe you're a grumpy believer. And Jesus has saved you. But hell would freeze over before you praise God. And you'll say something like, well, it's not my personality. And I don't mean to stick it to you. I don't think it was his personality to die on the cross. Praise is that expression of love to him. And maybe... You're a great person. And in your life, all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted. But there's a great sin against God because you just don't praise him. And we all know that the command that's given in the Bible over 2,000 times is simply what? Praise the Lord. Over 2,000 times. It's the most often given command in the Bible. I wonder if God gave that command over 2,000 times because he knew that his people might shy away from doing that. And and maybe today it's just the confessing and the renouncing the sin of living a life absent of praise. Maybe today, as we've talked through, you're angry at God. And as we've been going through this, you realize because he's not really God in your life. You're God in your life and he's your subject. And right now your subject's not doing what you think he should be doing. And so you're mad at your subject. 
that is a grievous sin. And that needs to be repented from. And today's your day. And maybe the Lord spoke to you through some, something else that we talked about today. And so as we pray, you make sure that you leave here today and everything is good between you and God. You're not going forward as a professing believer with a sinful heart before him. Let's pray. Jesus, there's so many times where before you, we've all done it, we've all done it, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely do it in the future where we find ourselves mad at you because you're not doing what we think you should do. And uh, we, we find ourselves not praising you because you're not doing what we think you should do. And, and uh, we drift away from spending that time with you because we're listening to another voice that tells us that it's not really going to matter anyways. And today you've been speaking. And so we, re- we renounce all of that. And we come before you in the areas that you have spoken to us. It's not for me to stick it to anybody. But Lord, if you've illumined something, then we come before you and we ask you to, to make it clear. And I believe that you have. And we renounce those things that have uh, become somewhat of a barrier between you, you and us. And as we leave here today, we pray that as we go forward, as we renounce those things, that we walk in what your word says, the newness of life. But we're different. We're different. As we become who it is that you want us to be. And I pray, Lord, most of all, that you minister deeply to each and every heart that's here today. For those who've never entered into a relationship with you, Invite Jesus Christ to come into your life in your own way. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and to save you. After the service, there's going to be some prayer partners standing by, and they'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to receive Jesus, rededicate your life, or you have a prayer request, don't leave here today without taking care of that. Again, there'll be prayer partners in the front as we, as we close. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And once again, all God's people said, God bless you. We'll see you next time.